The following is a presentation of Highlands Church, helping de-churched people become more fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. For more information, visit us at highlandsadventure.org. Hitchhiking takes a lot of patience, takes some, some skill. It takes sometimes more than just your thumb to catch a ride, doesn't it? You have to be ready to go as soon as that vehicle stops. And those are some of the qualities I think we need as, as a church. We need to be kind of, like, kind of like hitchhikers sometimes, ready to take advantage of opportunities that, that come our way. Most people don't know this, but hitchhiking originated in the New Testament. Really? Really? We're going to... I know, I can see, I can sense you don't believe me. Getting that feeling, uh, I'm not feeling the love here this morning. So, uh, the first hitchhiking happened in the book of Acts, happened on a road trip, and it was Philip who was the first hitchhiker. And this is what it says about Philip and his first hitchhiking adventure. In the eighth chapter, it says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This was a, a very barren area. If you've ever been in Palestine, you know how, how desolate this area of Palestine actually is, and that uh, if Philip would be sent to this area, to this desert road, specifically to the desert road, you see. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. Spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. How can I? He said unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Philip hitched a ride with the Ethiopian on the desert road that led from Jerusalem to Gaza. Philip's ministry is completely outlined here in the eighth chapter of the book of Acts. Now, when we think of the great men and people of Scripture who, who accomplished amazing things, Philip, I dare say, is not a name that would come to your mind rapidly. Paul might come to your mind, Paul and his great missionary journeys across the Mediterranean, all of the churches that he started and that he wrote to. Paul was an amazing, an amazing person. Peter might be another name that you would come up with. Peter, the, the disciple uh, of, of Jesus, the, the rock, the foundation uh, of the disciples. What a great, solid individual he was. Maybe John, maybe one of the other, uh, the other disciples. But, but Philip is not a name that, that, that comes up quickly when we think of people who, who accomplished great things. And yet Philip was a man who did just exactly that. He was the type of person that the early church really needed to accomplish its mission and ministry in the world in which it existed. Philip wasn't a preacher. He wasn't a teacher. He wasn't a disciple. He wasn't an apostle. Philip was a deacon. 
He was chosen by the church to help them meet the needs of the people that were coming to the Lord. And Philip and there were other deacons took great, um, they, they were very concerned about their job. They took their task seriously. You know, we have some great deacons here at Highlands as well. The deacons oversee ministry that you never realize happens here at Highlands. They're committed individuals who give up their time and talents to see that Highlands fulfills its mission into the world in which we, we are called. You know, I, whenever I meet with, with churches, I like to, to say that, you know, it's okay to be part of the steering team and deal with money and program and all of that, but the fun part of being a, a, a church is the deacons. The deacons get to do the, the, the ministry. They get to reach out to people in need. They get to share their lives with those around them in a way that, that doesn't involve money. It doesn't involve uh, a figuring out how to balance a budget or how to solve a, a problem with personnel or, or what kinds of programs should be happening. They just get to love people. They just get to pour their lives out into other people. And that's what Philip was. Philip was a deacon who took his call to be a deacon very, very seriously. He took the Great Commission as his commission. And he went throughout Samaria and, and throughout the world, actually. This man today is from Ethiopia, of all places. And Philip went and ministered to him. Why did Philip go to such a barren place? Why did he go to the desert road that led from Jerusalem to Gaza? The reason wasn't really evident at the beginning. He just knew that, the, that God wanted him to go. And so he went. His desire was to seek out what God wanted for him, to seek out those who needed to hear the message of Christ's love and his redeeming work. The lost were on his heart. You know, a couple of weeks ago, I shared with you about sitting together and eating and, and how, how that can draw people together. And I told you about in my office, I have a, a container of, of jelly bellies. They're actually, they're actually belly flops, but they're jelly bellies nonetheless in my office because I find that when somebody has something sweet in their mouth, they're less apt to say something sour. And so I share that there with them. And I told people about it that, that, that they're there in my office. Well, on Monday, the following Monday, the jelly bellies were gone. The whole container was gone. I thought someone was playing a practical joke on me. You know how, how sometimes kids are? They'll take it and they'll hide, hide something from you and wait to see if you can figure out that it's lost and where it might be. I searched all over my office. I opened drawers and cupboards that I hadn't opened since I got here looking for it. I looked under the couch. I looked through the desk. I asked the staff. I asked Richard specifically because he's the one who always has his hand in the jelly belly jar. <laughs> he didn't know what happened to him, and I kind of believed him. I kind of not, but I kind of believed him. I told staff at our staff meeting, the jelly bellies are gone, sorry. They, they're the ones who pretty much empty at every staff meeting, by the way. So what do you do when something's lost? I went to the internet to figure it out. 
I found out that if something's lost, you should not look for it. I don't know how you find it when you're not looking for it, but that's what they say. Don't look for it. Somehow it just magically turns up. And if it doesn't turn up, then the second advice was maybe it didn't really belong to you in the first place. So just forget, figure it's just gone, and, and that's the end of it. Then late in the day, Katie comes running in downstairs yelling, I found it! I found it! And we're all wondering what she found. And she comes into my office, I found the jelly bellies. She had found the container up on the Highlands sign out here by the parking lot. Now, I don't know who took it. I don't really care who took it. But, you know, I stood by that sign. I walked past that sign. I never saw the jelly bellies. But Katie was looking for it, and she found it. So it's been cleaned up. It's been refilled. The jelly bellies are back in my office. Just don't take the whole container if you come by. Take a few. It's okay. You know, she found what was lost because she was looking. And I think that's the way Philip was this day on the road from Jerusalem to Gaza. He was looking for what God had sent him there to do. He didn't know why God had sent him. All he knew was that he was supposed to be there, and that's where he was. Now, we could talk about what did he hear. Did it, was, it a, was it an angel? Could have been an angel. That's what the text says. Later on, it doesn't say an angel told him something else. It just says he, he was told to go to the, to the chariot. God speaks to each one of us in different ways. I like to think of it this way. If you're not paying attention, God will beat you over the head sometimes a little harder than if you are paying attention. If you're paying attention, a little voice, a thought, an idea can sometimes be the moving of God in our lives directing us to be and do and go where He wants us to go. Because in Scripture, it talks about all kinds of ways that the Spirit of God moved people. Peter was, was dreaming, and he had this, this vision in the, the dream which led him to Cornelius, and his whole family came to the Lord. Paul was thrown into prison and took those as opportunities to do what God wanted him to do. And many people came to Christ through Paul being thrown into prison. We don't often think of prison as being one of the, the ways God works in our lives, but it was for Paul. Jonah wasn't paying attention. It took a fish and a lot of time to think to get him to realize what God wanted him to do. You know, it's always different for each one of us. We can't expect this, this great shaft of light to light up the ground around us and to hear that deep, resonant, godly voice. God didn't bless me with His own voice. He, you know, that deep voice saying to us what we need to hear. I think if that actually happened to any of us, we would somehow discount it anyway. More often than not, it's the little ways, the subtle ways God moves in our hearts, in our minds to be ready to do what he wants us to do. You see, Philip knew that he was supposed to go to this desert road that led from Jerusalem to Gaza and to go hitchhiking. Now, 
hitchhiking is not as popular as it was a few years uh, uh, back. I, I remember when I was a kid, it was very popular. I had a number of my friends who were always hitchhiking everywhere. Now it's scary. It's scary to hitchhike. It's scary to pick up hitchhikers. You never know when that person might be a, a serial killer, by the way, you know, or someone who's escaped from prison, of all things, Right? So we tend to shy away from that. But I truly believe that following the Spirit of God is much like hitchhiking. It takes a little bit of an adventurous spirit to follow the leading of God, to be willing to, to get out there and to put ourselves up and say, I'm here, I'm looking for what God is opening up for me. And I'm willing to be embarrassed. I'm willing to, to not be picked up. I'm willing to make a mistake. I don't have the legs of Claudette Colbert to pick up hitchhike, to, to be picked up. I'm much more like Clark Gable. My thumb just doesn't work when it comes to, to doing what God wants me to do. But it's still that voice inside of us. I believe God is telling us more often than we would really like to admit that I want you to do something. I want you to take a step of faith. I want you to get outside your comfort zone. I want you to do something you're afraid to do a little bit. But I will bless that. You see, that was, that was Philip. He didn't know why he was sent to the road. But he went anyway. He was willing to do what God wanted him to do and to be somewhere where God wanted him to be. We think it can't be me. It's got to be somebody else. I don't know how to do it. I don't know what to do. I don't even know where to start. And I'm really with you on this. I'm talking about myself. I, I struggle at times with what is God leading me to do? Because I'm fearful. Because I'm not sure that I have what it takes to do what God is asking me. Maybe you feel that way as well. You know, I think that's why God makes us a team. Being a Christian is a team sport. It's a team activity. We think of it as a private thing, but it's really a team thing where we all work together. Some of us are, are the, the quarterbacks. Some of us are the, the centers. Some of us are the blocking guards. Some of us are the, the people who go out, receive passes. Some of us are running backs. We're all part of the team. And if we all think the job is only done by the quarterback we find that we can't make any progress. We don't get anywhere. I know you're watching football now. There were like three or four games on alone in the restaurant we were at last night. Cal Poly was one of those. We're a team. We have to work together. If we don't work together, we make no progress down the field that God is calling us to go down. You see, Philip, even though he was a deacon, not an apostle, not a preacher, not a teacher, knew that his call was just as valid, that God wanted him to do the ministry and the mission that he had called the team to do, and that he was part of that team. Our ministry is not a one-sided ministry. It's not something one person does. We don't look for a pastor to lead a church for him to do all of the, the activities, for, him, for that person to be the, the sole person who, who runs everything and is involved in everything. We all have our parts. 
We all take part in that. We're all on the bus, like Richard says, together. And that's what makes us as powerful as God wants us to be. He gives us each different gifts and skills. Some of us, it's just to go and be there for someone else. That was Philip. He was willing to go. But he was also willing to be patient and wait for the opportunity to do what God wanted him to do. You know, we don't see Peter waiting a whole lot. Peter was an impulsive guy. He sees Jesus on the shore. He dives in the water and swims to the shore. You know, Jesus asks a question, and the first one to answer is, is Peter. Peter was very impulsive, not a lot of patience. That's why Peter wasn't sent to the Gaza road. That's why Philip was sent, because Philip was a patient man and was willing to wait. The Spirit of God says, go to that chariot and stay with the chariot. Now, that sounds pretty simple as we, as we just read that, but, but this was a desert road. These, these vehicles weren't just parked on the side in the desert. It would have been crazy to just park and stop in the desert. This vehicle was moving down the road, and, and Philip was told to go with it and stay with it. I can imagine him jogging alongside the chariot, right, as it's moving down the road. And Philip was patiently waiting to know what he was supposed to do there, why he was called to go to the road, why he was told to stay with this particular chariot. He was patient. We are so impatient in our world, it's hard, it's, it's, it's unbelievable to, to think of having some patience. I blame microwave ovens. You know, it's the curse of our existence. It makes us impatient in all kinds of things. You know, when you can warm your cup of coffee in 60 seconds, you know, we, we grow impatient with, with planting a seed and trying to wait for it to grow and to, to have fruit, you know? When you can bake a potato in 10 minutes, we, we're not going to have a lot of patience with a lot of other ways of, of cooking, not, needless to say, with, with our own kids and, and the world around us. People used to blame Polaroid cameras, but, you know, nobody knows what a Polaroid camera is anymore, so it has to be microwave, microwave ovens. And who of us hasn't complained when the instant replay's not working, Right? We want to see the same shot over and over and over again. My wife was wondering why the same two people ran into each other in the Giants game the other night. And we tried to explain to her that that was a replay, that they, they, they got run into, the same two people ran into each other four or five times already that evening. I tease my wife, as you can tell. I tease her a lot. She's not here yet. I probably won't tell that at the next hour. But, but oh, can I? Is it okay? All right, I'll, I'll go ahead and do that. We're impatient, aren't we? we? We want it now. We don't want to have to wait. My kids want their inheritance now. What am I going to do? I... You know, we give most things a try once or twice, once or twice a try, and then if we don't make it, if they don't succeed, if it doesn't happen, we, we abandon it. You know, we'll try this or that. Uh, it's not seemed to be working out. We're on to something else. We're very, very impatient. But you know what? Patience is not outside of God's plan for us. Cameron, we, had, we sang that song, strength will rise as we wait upon the Lord. That, that's, that's what God wants. God wants us to realize that, that 
It's when we are patient. It is when we wait upon the Lord that His strength is built in us. You see, His power is revealed in us, and His mission and ministry are revealed in us. We live in a world where kids grow up way too fast, and usually being, growing up fast means you make bad choices. Rushed decisions are usually bad decisions. We need patience. But patience doesn't mean you do nothing. You see, today kids, when they are told to have patience, they sit down and they play a game on their, on their smartphone, right? And they think that's being patient. But you see, it's, it's really waiting and, and doing something. That's what Philip did. Philip didn't have an iPhone, young people. He just walked and ran alongside the chariot, but he paid attention to what was going on. You see, if he hadn't paid attention, if his mind had been wandering, wonder why I'm here, how long am I going to be on the desert road? He would have missed the opportunity. He would not have heard this man from Ethiopia reading from the book of Isaiah. And he would have missed the reason he was sent to the road. Philip was active in his patience. He was active in his waiting. It wasn't just sitting around. It was actually doing something, probably the most important thing that he could have done, listening to what was going on around him. And that listening opened an opportunity for him to share of what this man was reading, to explain to him about the person he was reading about. I find it interesting that Philip didn't say, hey, mister, an angel told me to come here. Can you believe that? See, that's how we would be. We would be, we'd be surprised and want to share that, that some, you know, that an angel had told us to be here. You know, I don't know why I'm here, but an angel did that, right? Pretty cool, huh? But Philip didn't do any of that. The, the, the fact that, that, that an angel has spoken to him seems almost of, of no importance to the mission and the work and the actions Philip took there. He listened. And when he heard this man reading, he asked him just simply, do you know what you're reading about? Right? Do you know what you're reading about? And all Philip did then was tell him who he was reading about. Now, he's reading from the book of Isaiah, the 53rd chapter. And in this chapter of the book of Isaiah, Isaiah explains why the Messiah had to come. Now, the Messiah was believed to be this great, uh, powerful ruler and leader over Israel. And it would, this person would come and redeem Israel, but many people thought it was a, a political, military redemption. But Isaiah wrote that this person who would come would be one who would suffer and die so that we might be redeemed. That's what the man from Ethiopia was reading about. He was reading about who Jesus was. And Philip took that as an opportunity to share who this man was and what Jesus had done for him. Let me just read a little bit before. There's a quotation in the, in the eighth chapter of Acts. 
And we'll look at that in a second. But let me, let me set it up with what comes right before that text out of Isaiah. This is what Isaiah says about Jesus. Surely he took our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God. We considered him condemned by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We are all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That led up to the text that the Ethiopian was asking about, which is this text that um, is from Isaiah. He was oppressed and afflicted, Jesus, once again. And yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to, to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people, he was punished. You see, that's what Philip was able to explain and share with this man from Ethiopia. That Christ had to come and to suffer and to die that we might be a part of the kingdom of God. That God might take us as his family, that God might empower us with his own spirit of redemption and forgiveness and restoration. You know, sometimes sharing our faith just seems to work out. It's kind of a miraculous thing. We sometimes look back and go, wow, God, I see God at work in that moment. God opened those doors. God met that situation and I was able to be a part of it. And those are wonderful, wonderful times. And yet, we somehow still think that witnessing and sharing of our faith is a forced thing. It's not a forced thing. It's just being who we are in the moments of our life that come our way. The opportunities to hitchhike that open up to us an opportunity to share about who Jesus Christ is and what God has done. And then we let the Spirit of God take over because, you see, it's not we who bring anybody into the kingdom. We don't. It is only by the Spirit of God that people are led into the kingdom of God. I had an opportunity this past week to, uh, to go by one of the churches that I was a transition pastor at. Uh, it's Trinity in San Jose. And I saw the pastor, and he was just really excited about what was going on in the church. The church had gone from a, a two-generation church, those over 65 and those between 20 and 30, to a six-generational church with children all the way up through, um, through the senior section. And that God had been doing all kinds of 
things in their midst, that they were opening, that God was opening doors and avenues to minister that, that they had never thought of reaching out to. One of them was the fact that, that where this congregation sits, a number of people, come, transients come through, homeless people, and they're actually somehow staying in the area. There's a, a shelter in the area. And the church through the, through the last year or so has begun to work with these, these people who are homeless. And we went to the parking lot, and, and there was a man pruning the trees out there, and, and, and Don introduced me to him. His name is Mike. And actually, I, I knew Mike. I'd, I'd met Mike. Mike had been around the church when I was there. But Mike was an addict then. He was, he was homeless and jobless. And here he was pruning trees and with a big smile on his face. He says, you know, it's the love of this congregation that changed my life. His life literally changed 180 degrees because a congregation took an opportunity that was laid at their doorstep to reach out to this one particular individual. And in fact, they were reaching out to many individuals like him and changed his life. He's now a member of that congregation. And uh, I was just blessed to meet him, someone that, that, whose life was going down the tubes. And Jesus Christ turned it around. The joy and the enthusiasm were just wonderful to see. You know, God can use each one of us. God can use all the little things that we do, the opportunities that we have. And He can change people's lives because of them. We need to pay attention, to be willing to go, to be willing to to wait, and to be willing to share of the blessings God has given to us. So often we shrink back, but I pray Highlands will be bold. I pray Highlands will be attentive to the leading of God. Opportunities are constantly coming our way, constantly. Most of them we ignore. Let us keep our eyes and ears open for opportunities to share the love and the power of Jesus Christ to change people's lives. Let's pray together, shall we? Lord, I thank you for Philip and his ministry so long ago, for the way he was willing to reach out to those around him, for the way he was willing to go and be patient and to share. Lord, we so often fail in in many of those respects. We, We sense your leading, but we shrink back. We We know we should speak up, but we are silent. We know we should reach out, and we hold back. Lord, help us to change as well. By your Spirit, move in our lives and allow us to fulfill your commission. Help us to reach out to those around us that are in need of hearing of your message, of forgiveness, of restoration, and of wholeness. Lord, pour out your Spirit in a powerful way that we might see you actively involved in in changing lives of the people you love and care so deeply about, the people you gave your life on a cross to be part of your family. 
Thank you, Lord. Bless us as your people. Amen. This has been a presentation of Highlands Church, helping de-churched people become more fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. For more information, visit us at highlandsadventure.org.